Welcome to the Art of Getting Your Shit Together podcast, where each week we help you identify the bullshit that's holding you back and discover the courage to take action to create a life you love and enjoy. We have Jenny Schatzel back on the podcast. One of our favorite guests. She's amazing. She's our, (laughs) you're our resident person person yeah I like person <laughs> like I have everything I was gonna say like hype girl but you're that right. too. everybody's <laughs> always like what's your title I'm like I don't know I'm like, I'm like actually I like hype girl you're resident hype girl I'll take yeah. that yeah all right you are well you were my hype girl at one time so she's just always my hype girl love it I'm like hell yeah so good you know a lot of times we talk about the body image diet culture with Jenny but we really want to bring in a different side to it and that is what that kind of looks like in the household and the most important relationships in a household. And that's with our spouses and significant others. And for those who are parents, our children and finding that balance. And I know Jenny, you don't, you typically use that word. It's more of that harmony, finding a harmony within the home and how do we create a thriving household? So marriage reality versus ideal, like what is our reality right now versus kind of what we play out in our minds tips for the moms and dads out there to get that mommy time, to get that alone time we need away from all the chaos for lack of better word, yeah. like a better term, mom, 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 that, yeah, all of that. <laughs> so we can recharge and then maybe a couple little takeaways since we're approaching the holidays for survival mm-hmm. of that, all of that survival of the family feuding. With creating harmony in the household, conversations and communication is obviously number one. Jenny, I'm curious, what is some of your biggest tactics for creating harmony and communicating with, can we use his name? Can we use your husband's name? Absolutely. Connor. Yes. Mr. Mr. Hype girl. Mr. Mr. Hype. Uh, yes. So my husband's name is Connor and he, so we don't also, I need to know, live a typical lifestyle. My husband is a firefighter and so he's gone a lot. We have twin girls, Hope and Haven, and they are four years old. So my number one is communication. And so a story that has always, it kind of actually changed our lives. I, Jenna, we've talked about this before. I don't really think I'm a perfectionist, but I've come to realize I am in like my own chaotic, messy way. And I never imagined I would be the mom or partner that was kind of like grilling my partner. And when we had our babies... Gosh, I'll never forget this. So my husband is a paramedic firefighter. Like he's a paramedic. And I remember one day I'm like, that's not how you hold the baby's head. That is not how you're supposed to hold the baby. That is, that's not how you warm up the bottle. That is not. And I just like was getting on him about everything. And um, one day he finally came to me and he said, you know, I'm uncomfortable with my own children in my own house. He said, it feels like I'm walking on eggshells. Nothing I do is right. And it makes me not want to do anything. And I was like, whoa. And he said, it makes me not want to do anything. And I'm their dad. Like we are in this together. We're both learning. I'm not going to do it the same as you, but I'm, I'm learning too. And I, I took a step back and I was like, first of all, I never thought I'd be that person. And it was really this like aha moment that, you know, we're in this together. And I'm very fortunate because I have a husband that communicates that. And what I found talking to women is most men won't communicate that. And then they actually just stop doing it. 
because they don't want to be yelled at. They don't want to do it wrong. They don't want to disappoint. And a big word for me as a mother is martyr, where it's a huge goal that I am not a martyr, where I believe in the sense of motherhood, it's where you're doing everything and you're not allowing anybody to help you, but then you're pissed. Nobody's helping you. So it's hard because a lot of this is ingrained in us, which I always talk about with body image, with just women speaking up and speaking their mind. Like we've had these messages of this is just what you're supposed to do. You're the mom, you do it. And of course you want to do it right. And like we, a lot of us watched our moms. My mom still does it. My mom still comes in and does everything. And then she's upset that she's not getting the acknowledgement she wants. And so um, I think the number one is really taking a step back and are you asking for help? Are you allowing people to help? And are you communicating your needs to your husband? So after actually my husband said this to me, I, I did let go. I was like, you know what? I got to allow him to do it his way. And this is the other thing. Something so, something so powerful somebody told me is the girl, my girls, your children are going to have a different relationship with their father. They're going to have a different relationship with their grandparents. And it's actually a beautiful thing when you allow yourself to let go and let that relationship blossom. So um, again, I am acknowledging I'm very privileged in many sense. Like, you know, we can afford help. Like we had a, we, we had somebody come in and help us because my husband's gone a lot, but also I have a husband who communicates. So when our girls were babies, he sent me to a hotel for, two nights because I was like no sleep on the verge of a breakdown, all the things. And he said, I re I got you a hotel for two nights and the girls were babies. I'm like, there's no way I can go. And literally he said, you need to go so I can learn that I can do this on my own. Oh, wow. And that was such a beautiful, like literally it was the best two nights of my life. I mean, obviously having my children, <laughs> somebody once said the two greatest things in your life are being with your children and not being with your children. But early on, it was this, he, he is the father and this is whether you're whatever kind of relationship you're in. And we are talking about, believe me, I know there's a lot of single parents and we will talk about that too, but relationship, whether you're with a man or a woman or but it is allowing your partners, like we don't give our partners enough credit. People are like, oh my gosh, you're going to, the girls are just home with your husband. I'm like, he's a freaking paramedic firefighter. Like he can take care. Like we don't give people enough credit, right? Like they can take care of kids. We're taking care of kids and we're learning on the fly. And we're, so why are we not including them more and giving them more credit? Like you should be doing this. Yes, we are partners. This is what we signed up for. One of the things that we joke around about in our relationship is that it, and it's not funny, but we joke around about it because if we don't laugh about it, well, whatever is the learned helplessness that, that comes with that for men, especially, or I guess I can only talk cause I'm in a, a heterosexual relationship. So for men, from my experience, I should say where we women want to do the things for our partners, or we want to do it perfectly, like what you're saying. And then they throw up their hands and say, Hey, I'm not doing this anymore. That's one thing. Or they purposely do things poorly so that they get off the hook. So it's that learned helplessness of, Oh, well, if I don't, I don't want to do this, so I'm just going to do a bad job. And then she'll pick up the slack or he'll pick up the slack and I'm scot-free off the hook and I can just move on with my life. And then the joke is, Oh, well, I have, I don't have a husband or I'll have a, sp a wife 
I have another child. Right. Right. So, and I always see it again with the heteronormative, like heterosexual marriage where it's the man who is like the man child (laughs) of the relationship. And so part of that, like to your point, Jenny, allowing them to do it, not the way that you would want to do it or want to have it done is better than the other extreme, which is learned helplessness where they just don't do anything. And then you really truly are overwhelmed because, you know, one spouse usually carries more of the mental load in the, in the household at that point. Yeah. And, and I think I see, and, you know, we are very like, I, I, I think of us, Connor and I as like a progressive couple, like he does most of the cooking and the cleaning when he's home and like, I'm not very domestic. I said that right when we, we met, I'm like, listen, I don't cook. I don't clean. Like that's, (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) but I believe that like, okay. So there is also this narrative with, with us women that like, especially I think for myself too, that our, our worthiness comes in our suffering. So like, if we're just always hustling, if we're always just like, you know, in order for us to be worthy, like we almost have to be at our breaking point. Like I got it. I'm doing it. Like it's, it's go, go, go. When it's you, we are never going to get that break or get that time to ourselves unless we let go and allow them and take a step back. Like if your spouse has a full-time job and is capable of doing it, you're capable of handling children, right? Like this is where we get this, these roles. So I'm like, you're a paramedic firefighter. You can take care of children. This Mm -hmm. is actually save lives, but it's anything. It's like, they're, we're grown ass humans. We can't get to this point unless we communicate our needs. So it is really difficult conversation. So one night, okay, this is an amazing tool that I'm about to give everybody, but you also have to be ready for the answer. Okay. So when you do this, you have to make sure that you are in the right space to receive what you're asking for. So one night, um, Connor and I sat down and I asked him to write three things. One was something he's struggling with personally in his life. And then the second one was something he's struggling with me. And he was like, uh, is this a trick? Like, this feels, yeah, this this feels like you're putting me in a corner here. And then just the third thing was anything that he want, he wants to talk about. It could be about anything. The thing that was so powerful was what he wrote about me was he feels when he comes home, he doesn't get any, um, like there's no transition time for him. Like he comes home from work and I'm so spent that I'm like, here are the kids, I'm out. And so he feels like he doesn't get any transition time. And it's funny because at first I was pissed. I'm like, are you kidding me? You've just been gone for a week and then you want transition time. I've been with these, like I had all this. And then I take a step back, take a deep breath. And I'm like, I asked for this feedback. So I actually told him, I'm like, I need a day to process this. So he wrote all his things. I sat with it for a day and then I came back and I was like, you know what? You're right. Like, this is hard for me to hear because I'm at a place of like depletion when you come home but this is also what you need. So how can we give each other what we need? So now I'm more conscious of like, okay, do you need to go again? We live in Southern California. This is the privilege. Do you need to go surfing before you come home? Let's communicate that. It's not going to happen every day, but let's talk about like a schedule where we can, you can do this. I can take an extra two hours, know that you're not going to come home. And then here's what I need. So the point of all this is like, 
I don't believe we're communicating on the level of listening and telling our partners exactly what we need. Exactly. And that goes back to that reality versus ideal. Ideally, you would have loved Connor be like, honey, I'm home. What do you need? Give me the kid. Give me the girls. Let's do all this. Let me cook everything. But the reality is, is that we all have our different needs and we have to be able to communicate those in my marriage. And I always had, I used to start to chalk it up by saying, you know, well, you know, sometimes I'm selfish with my time or I'm, I'm good at being selfish, or I've always been a selfish person. And I'm like, you got to quit saying that Lindsay, because you're just asking for what you need. And that doesn't mean that you're selfish. Cause I'm very much like, here's the baby I'm leaving to, to go out so I can like regain my sanity. I'll be back. I remember handing Avery to Kyle once and he's like, are you coming home? (laughs) I'm like, yes, I will be home, you know, and I have to make sure I communicate with him because he is, I would say more naturally paternal than I am. And so he's very concerned about, you know, all the feelings in the home and, and the perceptions of what Avery is seeing and all the things. And I am too, but I'm like, no, it's okay. It's fine. You know, whatever. And he's also, I think much more sensitive than I am. So I have to, at first I was like, you know, I have to worry about this toddler. Then I have to worry about my sensitive husband. And, (laughs) and he's not, he just wants my, he just needs to know that, you know, I still love him and I still care about him and, you know, to make time for him. Because when I have a break, I don't necessarily want to go spend time with him or Avery, I want alone time. And so when I create, try to create that alone time, he feels like I'm creating space between them and I'm, and I'm, you know, shutting him out, which hurts his feelings. And I think anyone in that situation would feel that, but I'm again, for me to show up as my, my best self for as your wife, as the mother of our child, I have to have my alone time and we get on the same page and then it still comes up. And so even though we talk about these things of this ideal versus reality and communicating things that we think we have hashed out still come up because there's a lot of emotion in there. And so I, I consistently have to reassure him that I love you. We are going to spend time together. We will still have date nights, but right now I need alone time. And then when I do try to make alone time, I can kind of sense that the, the energy in the room changes. I said, babe, Remember, this is me needing my alone time. And you said to create that and to do that, this is what I'm doing. Right. So, and he's like, yes. Okay. Yes. So it's getting recommitted to some of those things. Cause we, we get stuck sometimes in our own needs and we have to remember it goes both ways. We have to acknowledge each other's needs all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course the needs of the children, but mm-hmm. well, it's hard. Time. If we lived in the same town, we would be best friends. We are like exactly the same. And not everybody has this, but my husband is like, same thing. He's way more actual sensitive, more paternal. Like me, I am my, I regroup by my alone time. We literally just got in a fight the other day. Well, not in fight. I lost it because you do have to, I believe I'm a very like evolved person. I'm always talking about my feelings, all the things. And you, it, this happens to everybody. Like you get back in it. Like he, he said, do you want to come with me to pick up the kids? And I freaking lost it. I was like, no, of course not. This is what I need is when you're home to pick up the kids because I do this every day. Like, I do not want to pick up the kids. Like, this is the break I need. And then he just wants to spend time together, you know? And so, and so then I lost it, but then we, okay, let's, let's talk about this. And I was like, listen, for me, what I need is a break from the everyday routine. 
Like the yeah. morning routine, the bat, like I need you to brush the teeth. I need you to put them to bed. I need you to, you know, one thing my friend does is maybe for new moms. If you have a spouse that you both are like nine to five regular schedule, they switch off nights. So like one night she does bedtime and then he gets a night off and then the next time they switch. And that, I think that's actually a really good tool too. If you are partners who are, so you do get your alone time, you do get some rest. I thought, oh, that's a great idea. But in the midst of this fight with my husband, it was, again, we had to, cause somebody once said to me, what about when you ask for what you need and then you don't get it right? Then you're just frustrated and disappointed. I'm like, oof, yes, that is a good one. Both male and female. So many things are ingrained in us. A lot of times you can't just tell somebody once you have to keep the conversation going. We've had this conversation multiple times. I lost it when he said this and we had to revisit it. I'm like, listen, I get it. You want to spend time together. So like acknowledging his feelings, this is what I'm asking for is I need you. It's the little things. I need you to take them to soccer. I need you to pick them up because this is what I do every day. And I need, this is the break I'm asking for. And he's like, you're right. I'm sorry. I do believe also, and this people might roll their eyes. And I talk a lot about this on Instagram. You have to take your love language test with your partner. It's so easy. Like I never read the books. Like you don't need to do all the things. Just take the test because even I'm finding this, even with like your friends or your parents, everybody gives and and receives loves differently. Like my love language is acts of service. So when my husband empties the dishwasher or takes the kids to school or makes coffee, I'm like, oh, when he, we always say household action equals bedroom action. Like nothing (laughs) turns me on more than my husband, like taking care of the kids and like taking care of the house. And that for me is my love language. It's attractive. His love language is sex. So like at night it's physical touch. So at night and when there's times like I'm tired, I don't freaking want to do this. Then I'm like, oh, this is what he needs. And it makes me like, okay, I, I want, I want to give this to him because this is what he needs. And then in the end, we're both happy, but ours is exactly the same. Like, I, I think it's really important to acknowledge your partner's love language. And so, all right, here's a story about my mom. So my mom was just here helping out and she had this breakdown about something. Some of the, one of the kids said something, it hurt her feelings. It spiraled into this whole thing. And so when my mom comes, my mom's like the most amazing grandma. She does all the things. She comes, she cooks, she cleans. And so when she started to spiral, I'm like, mom, what is really going on? And so we get to the root of it. It's like, she's doing all these things and she doesn't feel like she is respected and validated. And I'm like, okay, in my mind, you want to come here and do these things because I think you enjoy it. I think it makes you feel needed and it makes you feel good. What is it that you need that I'm not giving you? And so at 73 years old, my mom's like, well, you know, when you just tell somebody what you need, then they just do it because you told them and then it doesn't have any meaning. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So we start unraveling all this. And I'm like, mom, a long time ago, my mother told me that when she was a child, She ran away from home and all she wanted was her parents to come and find her. And they never did. And my mom's entire life, she has been waiting for somebody to come save her and nobody has. And I said, mom, you want people to just swoop in and do whatever you're thinking without telling them what it is you need them to do. I said, you can't have expectations of people and not tell them what those expectations are. You've been waiting 73 years for somebody to come save you and it hasn't worked because that is not how relationships work. 
And so I'm like, listen, do, do you need me just to text you? I love you. Spend some more quality time with you. Call you just because, you know, just to talk, not because I need something. For me, that is not my love language. Like people remembering my birthday, cards, I read cards and I throw them away. Like that sentimental stuff is not my love language. So it's not, it's not in me to just initially do it. But I'm like, if that's what you need, you need to say it. So I know to do it because I want to do it because you're my mom and I appreciate you and I want to make you feel good. And so finally after, you know, again, this has been so ingrained in her for so many years. She's like, yes, I just need you to call me every now and then. Not because you need something just to say hi. And I'm like, done. I'm going to do it from now on. Like a words of affirmation, love language. That's me. Words of affirmation. It's quality time. Like she, but this goes into all of our relationships. Like we try to show people love the way that we like, we all receive and give love differently. And Mm -hmm. how are you going to know unless you sit down and talk about it? Or find out what that is. Yeah. Because assuming gets nowhere, right? It just leaves people spiraling. And then we fill in all the gaps with a bunch of bullshit that's worse than what it really is. And we're resentful. Like we do this with our partners. Again, you want your partner just to come home and be like, oh my God, I see how exhausted you are. I see you want me to take the kids. I'm going to do this. But unfortunately, that is not how life works. Whether we think about it or not, we're comparing our level of exhaustion, right? We're like, well, you're tired. Well, so am I, you yeah, know, like kind of thing match It becomes this. One of the things in our arguments that happens is it's not a competition, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what will end up happening is you start to get into an argument about, well, I need this or I need that, or you did this or, or what about this? Well, it's not a competition. We don't, we don't need to compete about who has the most exhaustion right now. We're both exhausted, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, okay, That's what I know an argument is just becoming unproductive. Yeah. And arguments, there's a quote that I recently saw and says, discussions are always better than arguments because an argument is to find out who is right. And a discussion just is to discover what is right. And that's why we have to elevate our conversations. We have to elevate our communication because if we just go around assuming, you know, even if you have asked someone, I was at a talk at a funeral summit recently. And I was using an example of like, you have to ask for what you want, regardless of what relationship it is, whether it's your personal relationship at home, your professional relationship at work, whoever you have to ask, because if you just go around assuming you're never going to get it. If, if someone said, you know, Jenna, I expect you to assume that everyone that, you know, what everyone's thinking and you need to act on that. You'd be like, are you kidding me? But we do that for every, we do that for people in our lives for us. Right. And it's like, if I go around hoeing and humming about like, you know, and I'm grabbing my neck right now, like, oh, my neck hurts, my neck hurts. And all I really want is for Kyle to be like, babe, can I rub your neck? Have you had a long day? Right. To acknowledge me, which I don't think I ever would do that, but <laughs> you know, and he's like, he's just not getting it. And he's just not getting it. He's not understanding. <laughs> and then he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then by the end of the night, I'm like, I just wanted you to give me a neck rub. Okay. And just acknowledge me. And he's like, you know, last time you went around doing that and I asked you if you wanted a neck rub, you said, don't fucking touch me. So we have to reiterate some of the things we need. And even because they may be responding to a previous experience. So they're like, well, I'm not going to do that again. That didn't go well. Constantly reevaluation. This is a a theme recently has been, you know, this self-awareness and, you know, this awareness of how are we communicating? What are the gaps? And checking in with that reality versus your ideal. And the reality is 
we may never achieve that ideal, but we're never even going to get close to it unless we communicate. And I think delivery is everything. So a lot, a lot of us wait till our breaking point. Like even this happened to me last week when Connor was like, do you want, and I'm like, no, I don't want to go. Like I, I broke. Right. When you come to your breaking point and again, you're going tip for tat or even like, you never do this. You never, when we start pointing the fingers, when we start telling people what they're doing wrong, they automatically shut down. Yeah. So when we approach people, especially our partners in a sense of like, okay, it's, it's in us to want to help people. So when you can ask for help, when it's like you sit down instead of saying, you don't do this, this, and this, it's like, I need your help because I'm struggling. So even changing the conversation. So now they're like, oh my gosh, I want to help you. Or how can we reframe this? And how can we help each other? So we're, we're not blaming, we're asking, because even though if you're angry and you want to blame, you're not going to get anywhere because the minute we start pointing a finger is the moment that person shuts down. And that goes for all of us in all kinds of relationships, always coming from a place. And even maybe I'm a big advocate of, and I know it's hard in relationships, taking time. It's like asking your partner, what do you need from me? Getting an answer that you didn't necessarily want to hear. And instead of getting defensive, you sit with it. Okay. You come back. All right. How can we help each other? And so also I want people to acknowledge, especially we all grew up in such different households, right? Like my mom is a people pleaser because in her household, she just tried to keep the peace in her house. If you grew up with parents that always screamed, if you grew up like that is ingrained in you, your communication style is what you grew up with. So I also want people with children to remember your children are going to grow up with that communication style. So for me, the biggest thing is breaking the cycle. So how I communicate with my husband is also how I'm teaching my children to communicate. I love that. So true. You said that there were three things that you had him write down. Did you say the third thing or it was the The first one was the first was what he is personally struggling with. Could Mm -hmm. be anything like work, home, whatever. Second thing is something he's struggling with me. And then the third thing was an open topic. Like if there's anything you want to address. So we've done that. We did that, which was a breakthrough. And for me, which he was actually super surprised was my thing was, especially when the girls, I think our hardest point was when the girls were like 15 months. And I just remember vividly telling him like, I need validation in being a mother. So for me, being a mom is literally the hardest thing I've ever done because I love my career so much, like starting the gym, public speaking, like for me, it's so fun. I loved it. I was successful at it. And then being a mom, it's like, I never needed validation work-wise from my husband. And he said that to me, he was like, I didn't know you needed this because you've never needed this from me before. You know, you didn't need me to tell you good job. And I'm like, being a mom, you're doing all the things that nobody notices. Yeah. all the scheduling, all the, all the things. And this was gonna say before, like we are a very progressive couple, I believe, but I mean, let's be honest, I'm still running the roost over here. I'm doing a lot of the things. And so I I was like, listen, I need you every now and then to just tell me like, you're doing a great job as a mom. Like I need validation for being a mom. And I didn't know, I didn't even know I needed that, but being a mom is you're doing all the things that go unnoticed and they would only go noticed if you, if you stop doing them all. Yeah. And so it's really hard. Cause you don't, you don't get praise. You don't get accolades. You don't, you don't get. Yeah. And your kids aren't telling you. 
It's the thankless part of parenthood. It's the thankless and you're, and you're exhausted. And that's where I think a lot of the, um, the resentfulness comes from. And so, you know, when I told, I'm like, I need you to validate me as a mom. He was like, I literally had no idea that's what you needed. And to be honest, again, I'm very lucky. I have a partner who listens and communicates and he does. And I never thought like, like I said, like the sentimental stuff is not really the love language, but when it comes to being a mom, it actually is like, I get a text now, like, Hey, just want to know you're doing a great job, like keeping our house together. And I'm like, Oh my God, that meant so much to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That does mean a lot. So because you have Connor and because I have Kyle, you know, you alternate evenings, Kyle and I do the same. And we used to also, we still do a lot where on the weekends, like he gets a day and I get a day. So used to be like Saturdays was his day. And then Sundays was my day. We could do whatever we want. We knew that we would be responsible for the little human all day, you know, and I could like come and podcast, you know, record with Jenna. I can go do all the things. And, you know, there wasn't any expectation other than that's your day. So for those parents who don't have that, what do you feel like are some of those non-negotiables? Cause I know we say that we're privileged and we can hire help, but I, I feel like also hiring even just a little bit of help, finding a good babysitter, finding someone that can give you that time. I feel like it's such a investment on your mental sanity, but also for you showing up as a parent, I think that's a non-negotiable across the board. If we can, if we can make it happen. Yes. Okay. So a couple things and just shout out to all single parents out there. You know, I'll go three weeks to a month at a time by myself but I always know he's going to come home. And when he comes home, he goes all in. And I think about single parents so often, or like my mom who was in a, my dad was a horrible father. Like he ne- my mom had three kids. He never once changed a diaper. And my mom and I talk about that. And I'm like, that's was also on her, right. For the relationship that they made. But um, first of all, I just want to acknowledge single parents. Holy moly. Couple things. One, this is not every, I'm going to try to hit a bunch of different things because I know not everybody has this uh, um, ability. So one, yes, if you can afford it, even if it's once a month, get a babysitter, get a neighborhood kid, get a mama's helper. Like you could find a 10 year old to 15 year old that maybe will five bucks, 10 bucks an hour. Even if you're home and you just go in your room and you freaking watch TV or read a book or that money spent on your mental health is everything. And should, if you have just a little bit extra, you should absolutely do that. Yes. I'll have to talk about the mom guilt. So if we are constantly going again, we are teaching our children. That is what women are supposed to do. Our children need to see us take a break. Our children need to see us say, you know what, mom's going to go do this. You're going to go with the babysitter. You're going to go with grandma. You're going to go the, what we do is what we model for our children. And modeling just the always like go, go, go hustle, struggle. That is if, you know, that's not something we want for our children. So when we have the guilt, always tell yourself like, this is actually a good model for my children. Mm -hmm. I always say like the kids going with their grandparents, they're creating a relationship. It's not the same when you're there. So when they get to do it, when you're not around, that's a beautiful relationship. When they get to be with dad without you around, that's a beautiful relationship. Even the neighbors. A really good thing is if you have neighbors with kids, do a date swap. So what our neighbors and I do to save money is one night I take their kids, one night they take my kids. So you don't have to pay for a babysitter. And it's awesome. That's, you know, obviously if you have kids in the neighborhood. Um, And then the other thing is like, if you cannot afford it, if you have no other kids, if you have no other help, if you don't have parents, 
put on a freaking movie. I don't care if you have to do a double feature. You let those kids sit in the living room. You let them watch a movie or two. You go in your room. You take a break. That is like, you know what? I'm at my wit's end. This, this is my option. And again, let the guilt go. You're taking time for you. You're going to be a better mom. And this is your option right now. You got to do what you got to do with what you have. Absolutely. One of the things too about that, like on that last thing is I think about how we grew up or how I grew up and it was a lot different than parents treat their kids now today. I'm not a parent, but, and I'm not saying like, oh, back in my day, I had to walk five miles in the snow and uphill, you know, not like that, but you did, didn't you though? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but you did watch Saturday morning cartoons for five hours. Yes. Yeah. yes. We watched, we watched cartoon. Yes. We didn't have iPads, but we had TV. We had Nintendo. We had video games. We had, but also I played outside. I lived on a dead end street, which was a blessing because there were a lot of other kids. We were out until dark. My, my mom didn't have a cell phone or a pager for me to check in. Like she whistled and I heard it and that was time to come home. And I know that the world is a little different now, but I also know that just because we know more about the world, because we're so connected to every piece of the world does not necessarily mean that everything is so inherently dangerous that we need to helicopter over our kids And it also doesn't mean that you need to be like the entertainment hub for your kids all the time. Kids can be bored. Kids should be bored. They need to use their imagination. I think one of the things I'm so grateful for was that I didn't have an iPad stuck in front of my face all the time. And listen, I watched my fair share of hours of Nickelodeon and Saturday morning cartoons and all that stuff and MTV and VH1. Um, but I had to make my own fun. I, I was an only child for the first six years of my life. I had to make my own fun. I had to play Barbies and make, you know, mm-hmm. Legos and build things and do things with my time to fill my time. And my imagination was part of that. And I think when you feel this is also with the mom guilt thing, when you feel like you have to be the source of your child's everything, you're depleting yourself and you're doing them a disservice because you're not allowing them to find who they are, what they like, how to manage on their own. And I think also as one thing in this day and age is like social media and what we see other moms doing like, Oh my God, I'm not cooking my kid a home comparison. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, we have the guilt of like, you know, are my kids, smart enough and keeping up and in the sports and, and like the cooking thing, like, Oh my God, my kids, we have pizza once a week. We, I mean, I maybe cook like twice a week and it's, but it's this whole thing of like, you got to do what you got to do. Put chicken nuggets in the, in the oven, you know, one weekend, we usually spend a whole morning watching TV and I'm doing whatever I want to do. And it's just, I, I just, I cannot stress enough. Nobody has it together. When we started this podcast, you're like, I don't know if I'm an expert to talk about it, <laughs> right? It's like, none of us have this figured out. But I think one of the greatest things we can do is one, learn to communicate our needs, two, listen to the people around us on their needs, and three, we have to stop comparing ourselves to other families, to other kids, to other, because that creates the guilt, the shame, I'm not doing enough, I'm not good enough, and it's like, you got to do what's right for your family. I live in a beautiful neighborhood with amazing kids. We have so many different views, politically, the, the parents, polit- I mean, everything, body stuff, poli- I mean, all the things. And I'm like, mm-hmm. awesome, high five. You do what's right for your family, I'm gonna do what's right for my family. Somebody once told me, you need to be an activist 
for your family. So an activist doesn't mean you're like on a stage with a blowhorn. An activist is whatever you believe, you need to do that. My neighbor, maybe she doesn't let her kids watch TV. High five. Good for, that's awesome. Be an activist for that. Our family, we watch TV. We have movie nights almost every night. Like that, I love that. I love to sit and watch movies with my kids. It's one of my favorite things to do. Like I'm not a craft person. I don't want to play pretend. I don't want to make crafts. I am a parent who likes experiences. So I'm like, I like to do sports. I like to go out and do things. I don't want to sit home and play pretend. I just don't. So like, if we're not doing things, then we're home watching movies. But that's that's what's right for me and my family until my kids tell me differently. And so the the whole thing was like, you're not doing enough. You're not good enough. You should be cooking more. You should, be, you should stop shooting all over yourself. Like do what's right for your family. Do what's right for you. And you cannot do right for your family if you're not doing what's right for yourself first. That's it. it that's it right there. And we, we've talked about comparison a lot with Jenny on this podcast. You know, it's so toxic. No one, no one knows your reality better than you. No one knows what's going on in your home more than you. It doesn't matter what people see you doing. And if you're that person that's out there judging other moms, yeah. knock it off. It's none of your business. <laughs> and everybody's so different. Like, again, like not every, like a lot of kids don't like sports a lot. Like not everybody, like a lot of people's experiences aren't going to be my experience. Right. And my experience, it's just judgment and comparison. I also think is ingrained in us. And I said this, I say this on every podcast we do together. The first thing we think is what is ingrained in us. The second thing is who we want to be. So I still judge. I think we all do. It's, you can't not judge, but it's when you're able to stop yourself and be like, why do I care what that person does? That's none of my business. And then you can stop and be like, oh yeah, now I get to go live my life. So it's like when the judgment comes up, stop yourself. And oh yeah, that's the old version of me. That is not who I want to be. That is not who I'm becoming. I'm going to move on. I'm going to do what's right for my family. I'm going to do what's right for me. You high five, you do your thing. I love it. We only have a couple more minutes, but I would, and we haven't touched on surviving the holidays, but I would love to do like just a couple quick things before we let you go for our listeners since the holidays are coming up and talking about families and family dynamic. What are some of your biggest takeaways for getting through the holidays with your sanity left? (laughs) Um, Okay. So I'll try to make this quick. One thing is you have to realize that, and I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of, a lot of us, myself included, there's a dynamic of the family you grew up in. And a lot of times when we go back, you fall into that dynamic. Like I'm the youngest of three. And when I go home, I'm like, I feel like the youngest of three. I'm a 41 year old woman with my own children. And so it's a dynamic I'm really trying to change. We have to create boundaries. Number one. Number two is you do not have to do things the way they've always been done. And number three, just like we've been talking about this whole time, you have to communicate with your needs with your immediate family. And that is probably the hardest. So before I know you guys saw, but before we took a family vacation, I'm from Minnesota. I'm glad you're telling the story. Cause I was going to ask you to, yes, we yeah. live um, in Southern California and, but I took my whole family back to Minnesota over the 4th of July. And I sent a text to my entire family with all of the boundaries that I now expect, which was no body talk no food talk. I don't want anyone commenting on anyone else's body, whether it's good or bad. And I listed 
all the things that I need from my family with an explanation of this is what I struggle with. This is what I've struggled growing up and I'm changing the conversation for my family. And you, as in my family, are a huge part of this. And so I need your help. It sounded a little aggressive at first. Like people were like, oh my God, you really sent that to your family? Because I posted what I sent and it was like, kind of sounded like demands, but it was my boundaries. But then I summed it up with, because this is, this is what I'm doing for my family and you are so important in my life. I actually need your help. So I get a lot of questions on like, how do I talk to my mom about her body comments, you know, to me or to my children? And I'm like, well, here you have to sit down your mom or your brother or your sister and say, listen, and it's not a blaming. You did this to me. You can't say that anymore. It's like, listen, I've struggled my entire life with food and body. And I'm now trying to change that for my family. And I need your help. So again, it's reframing this of like, here's my struggle. And I need your help. And so we're not blaming anyone. And especially like a lot of us, when we're talking to our parents, whatever our parents did to us was ingrained in them. So I know it's initial. It's like you want to get angry and you want to get mad and you want to blame. They did the best they can with what they knew. And even my mom now tells me like, you know how hard it was for my mom to read my book? My book is literally about my childhood and how much it fucked me up. But my mom's like, through your story, I've now changed. Right. And because I'm not blaming my mom, I'm like, my mom and my dad, this is my dad didn't know how to love because his mom didn't show him how to love. When we can come from a place of empathy instead of blame, that's when we get to move forward. That's when we get to change the conversation. And the number one thing is I'm not trying to change anyone else in my family. I'm only trying to change myself. And by changing myself, the result is I will change the dynamic of my family, but I can't change anybody else. I can only set my boundaries. I can only communicate and I can only be an activist for me and my children and everybody else, whatever they choose to do, that's up to them. Last thing is, um, this is a really good example. So I have somebody in my family who, okay, this is a label, but you could label him a redneck. Like he, he makes inappropriate jokes, homophobic jokes, racist jokes, And before it was kind of like, oh, you just, you know, you laugh them off. It's like, oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, and a couple of years ago, I was like, no, this isn't who I am. This isn't the the relationship I want to have with this person. So we were at home and he made a, a joke and I just looked at him and I said, that's not funny. And I'm no longer going to participate in these kind of jokes or conversations because that's not the relationship I want to have with you. And so I'm going to put an end to this, right? We're, we're just, I'm going to stop this. And literally it was like, of course it was, it was dead silent. Of course it was uncomfortable. And everybody was like, oh shit. But it wasn't mean. It was very much like, I love you. And I don't want to be this person with you anymore. And I don't, I'm not going to participate in this anymore. And this isn't the relationship I want to have. He has never once made a comment since that day. What he does when I'm not around, that's his business. But he knows now this is my boundary and I'm not going to participate. When we shove things under the rug, kind of like what you're saying, where you you actually had the courage to confront your mom and tell her even the conversation that you had, like, what do you need? Or her reading you your book. That's very courageous for you to tell your story. And then it's probably knowing that it was probably going to be really hard for her to hear. But like. I just think like when you have these conversations instead and confronting them head on, 
you then by proxy change the conversation and you change the dynamic for the better because you're saying no more will this be tolerated because when everyone's like ha, you know that's just daryl he just you know he's just racist and just, nobody's ever going to change him so why do we even say anything it's like okay no you're doing that to make yourself feel comfortable yes we don't, again, it's like when we go back into our family, we go back into the roles that we've always played. Yeah. Nobody wants to like rock the boat. It's going to take too much energy to try to change this. So, but this is another thing. And especially in this day and age, who do I want to be and who do I want my children to be? I have to break this cycle. And I really do believe now being silent is being part of the problem. 100%. But again, I can't stress this enough either. Delivery is everything. Like when we blame, right? Like when I talked to this particular person, it wasn't like, you're racist, you're homophobic, you're this, you're that. I'm not going to get anywhere with that conversation, right? It's like even sending that text, which if everybody, if you go to my um, Instagram, you can read it if you're listening. Literally so many people email and they're like, oh my God, how did your family take this? And again, they could have been making fun of me behind my back. This is the other thing. We sit there and we're like, oh my God, so-and-so is going to be so upset. I would rather have them talk about me behind my back, but still everybody held the boundary. When I came home, nobody said anything. We're a family of like, Oh, so-and-so's gained weight. Oh, so-and-so's lost weight. Like that's the way I grew up. Literally nobody said anything. So what they say behind my back, you know what, for me, it's worth the boundary that's being set because it's not only being set for me, it's being set for my children. Yeah. And it's literally breaking the cycle. It literally, that's, that is the work to break the cycle is standing up and saying, you have to be willing to rock the boat and get people uncomfortable. That is just, and most of us don't want to wait. Like we say, waste our energy. That is you're wasting your energy by not saying anything. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. It, It takes a lot of energy to hold your tongue. Yeah. Yes. The energy we need is to like, just stand up for what we need. And you know what? I it's coming from a place of love, but it's also coming from a place of change. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's also a waste of energy if we're not upholding the boundary. So making the request, having it come from a place of love, letting someone know that you need their help. And then it happens if the body talk continues, if the homophobic comments continue, whatever the case may be, if we don't remove ourselves and actually uphold that boundary, then it's not a boundary. We're just, then we're making empty threats to somebody. We're just threatening them. So we have to uphold the boundary and it's not what they're going to do. You've made a request. We can't control what people are going to do. We've made a request for that person to shift, you know, by creating awareness. If it still continues to happen, then it's like, okay, now I'm going to remove myself. I said, I wasn't going to partake in this. This is me not partaking. I'm leaving. Hundred percent. You know, it's not like, Hey, I told you about this. We need to stop this. It's no, here it is. I told you I'm not going to partake. I'm removing myself. And, and I'm glad you said that because I think we exaggerate maybe what the outcome would be sometimes when it's not going to be nearly as, you know, it's not going to be nearly as catastrophic as we think it is when we make these types of requests from the people we love. hundred percent. I think it's two things. I think it's, we play out what the outcome is going to be. And it's just like, we've talked about this, this the whole time. It's like, People don't know what we're thinking. We do not know what other people are going to think, right? So I always say, what's the worst that could happen? Like I always ask myself, what's the worst if you do this? Um, we play out what the what the outcome is going to be. But the second thing too is like, we a lot of times equate us standing up for what we believe in or creating boundaries or speaking our mind as being an asshole. Like you don't have to be an asshole 
when you're just trying to say your needs, right? Like exactly what we've been talking about. Like, oh, you're this, you're that. It's like, say it in a loving way. Delivery is everything. You don't mm-hmm. have to be a jerk. It's holding your boundary. Oh, you're going to go there. I'm going to leave. It's exactly yeah. what you said. Like, you don't have to be a jerk, right? It's, it's always ask yourself, what's the worst that could happen? Somebody's going to yell at you. Somebody's going to get mad. Somebody's going to, okay, well. Well, a friendly reminder too, that people project their shit. So if growing up, we had notoriously just no boundaries, like boundaries weren't even a thing. We were and what ends up happening then is you're responsible for everybody's reactions and feelings when you don't have boundaries. So what ends up coming up a lot now is like, Oh, well, what if I hurt their feelings? And so now you're becoming responsible for their feelings when you're not like, you can't be responsible for anything anybody does. And so that's partly a trauma response, right? Like that's, that's the shit that we take. So one of the things I will encourage people is get therapy, go to therapy and work through some of these triggers and trauma responses. Cause even if it's the small things that we think aren't trauma, it is, and you got to work through that and you have to like you have to like deconstruct that a little bit so that when you are back into these family dynamics, you're not reliving all of this trauma and you're not triggered constantly because you haven't worked through your own shit. So that's number one. Number two is you can't possibly predict how somebody's going to respond and the way they respond is their own shit. So people who disrespect boundaries don't know how to set their own boundaries. So they don't respect other people's boundaries. So that's more, this says more, way more about them than it does about you. And that's something that I'm saying from personal experience as somebody who's had to learn boundaries as an adult and not, not take on the responsibility of oh my God, what are they going to think? Or they're going to think I'm an asshole or they're going to think I'm a bitch. And then also like, it's okay if they think those things, because that says more about them than it does about you. Yeah. 100%. And it's hard. And we just know, especially you're going to go in and out. Of, like I still, I catch myself. I still go home and catch myself like, oh, you're back in your little sister role or however many years you've had ingrained in this family and the dynamic of it. Um, you know, one of the best things, there's so many, I should just say another amazing thing Glennon Doyle has said is if it's between disappointing somebody else and disappointing yourself, you always disappoint somebody else. Yeah. I mean, that's it right there. Right. We're so ingrained, like disappoint yourself first. And this is part of the mom guilt and the shame and the women, it things woman guilt. Yeah. And then you build resentment and then you wonder why you're just like a pissy bitch. Yes. And it was what keeps us small too. We're just so concerned with everybody's happiness above our own. And it's like, it's just like, you can't change people. You can't make other people happy. You can't, you change yourself. And then the people around you are either going to get on board or they're not. And the people who don't, that's meant to be. Yeah. One more thing before we wrap it up here about the holidays and disappointing other people. And if you, if this is your token to give yourself permission, then so be it. But please remember that you don't have to partake in anything. You don't have to go to a family gathering. You don't have to go to that Thanksgiving meal. You don't have to go to three people's houses Christmas morning and trying to make all the rounds, doing all the things. You don't have to do any of that. You can go on vacation. I know a lot of people that go on vacation for Thanksgiving because they don't want to deal with their family. And that's amazing. It is. I'm getting better at it. And I'm always kind of the one, like, I don't care if you think I'm a bitch, just deal with it because I have parent, my parents live two and a half hours away and all of Kyle's family lives here locally. I'm like, I can't be everywhere at once. And if you expect me to, then 
you're going to be disappointed because I'm only one person and I don't really care. I'm going to do what I can and we're going to have a great holiday regardless. That's amazing. And yes. And I think it's, it's so hard. I think the holidays just bring up so much and that's what makes it exhausting and unenjoyable. It's exhausting. And our same kind of thing, but our family was always huge on Christmas and like being in Minnesota. And I'm always like, Oh my God, of course I want to be there. It's a white Christmas. It's nostalgic. It's nostalgic. It's all the things. And then I'm actually like the last couple of years we've gone and like just the amount of presents. And I'm like, I don't know. I just started to see this in a whole new light. I was like, this is actually kind of gross. Like there's like the amount of presents was ridiculous. Yeah. And I, I literally like our, my kids got bored halfway through and they were like, <laughs> I, it's, it was, I don't know. You just start to see things in a whole new light. And then yeah. um, COVID we couldn't go anywhere. And so we had our first Christmas last year on our own. It was the freaking best. Like <laughs> if anyone with little kids, like I get so excited. So this year we're having our own Christmas again. I'm like, oh my God, we get to make our own traditions for our own family. And you know what? My fam- and surprisingly, like I thought everybody was going to like lose their, both on my side and my husband's side, like lose their stuff that we were going to do Christmas. And everybody was like, awesome. Great. I think it really is this, a lot of it stress for really everybody. Stress. They're like, Oh God, thank God. We don't have to always do what has always been done. So, and then we just complain about it. Right. We're like, Oh God, we always go to so-and-so's house and then, <laughs> bitch, and, then blah, blah, blah. and then it's like, it's like my sister, God love her, but she, my sister like wants everybody at her house. And then she's super stressed. Everybody's at her house. I'm like, this isn't fun. Like this is fun for no one. Okay. And so this year it was like, just, I want to remind people, you don't have to do what your family has always done. And it's surprising when you break off or do something different, people will adjust, but we don't do it because again, we don't want to rock the boat. We're scared of what people, we're going to upset mom. Mm-hmm. We're going to upset uncle Frank. Like you can be the breaker of chains and everyone may be thinking the same thing and you can be the one to actually initiate it. And I'll just say as someone who always had a huge Christmas, we had a small, it was me, Connor, Hope and Haven. And it was, we got all the presents at the dollar store. The kids freaking loved it. It was like the best Christmas I've ever had. And we're going to do it again. Good for, Good for you. you guys. I yeah. love that. I love that too. We had, we did a vacation in one year for Christmas and that was fun. Now every year we're like, can we just go on vacation? Just go on vacation. All right. Thank you, Jenny, for your time. This was yeah. amazing as always. I love you ladies. We could literally just, yeah, we could have kept going we, I know. as always. I was like, let's try to keep it short. Yeah, no, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> well, we did. This it goes by so fast. I'm like looking at the clock. I'm like, oh shit. I love you ladies so much. Thank you for what you're doing in this world. Your podcast is awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. We appreciate you and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. The Art of Getting Your Shit Together is produced and edited by LD Coaching and Blush Cactus Boutique Design Studio. We would love it if you'd head over to iTunes and subscribe, leave us five stars, and write a quick review. If you enjoy this podcast, share it with your friends so that we can continue to grow our tribe. Tag us on Instagram at tagist underscore podcast with your shares, and we'll feature you on our story. Don't forget to grab our free guide, Five things you can do right now to get your shit together and start living your best life over at tagus.com slash kick more ass. Remember, your life only gets better when you decide to grow and it's never too late to get your shit together.